Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pakulski. As always, we find the world's best guests to inspire you, to ultimately support you on this transformation journey, whether your goal is to build your body, to lose fat, or ultimately just thrive in every area of life. This podcast is going to support you on that journey. Today's guest, Drew Manning, is a very, very popular ketogenic coach, sometimes known as the fit to fat to fit guy. He's been on uh, morning TV talk shows all around the world, inspiring people on his journey. On uh, So first, he was very lean. He was a very, very fit and healthy guy. And some of his clients said, you know, we just don't understand what it's like to be me. You don't understand how hard it is to lose fat. So Drew actually went and took it on his own uh, to add about 60 pounds of fat, just went through like the standard American diet for a very long time, added a bunch of fat, and then got uh, really, really obese and uh, went through the process of losing it again so that he could relate to his clients so he can understand how it was to one, first, how you felt carrying around literally like almost a half an extra person to then losing it all and all the struggles that he would endure through that, the psychological challenges, the physiological challenges. And Drew shares his journey today and all of the, the amazing lessons he's learned along the way. Drew has made a really successful business for himself, uh, teaching people ultimately how to get in the best shape of your life. And one of the things I love most about Drew is the fact that he's real. You know, he's got kids. He's, he's a family man with a business, and uh, he truly is an inspirational person who's got a lot to share in this world. And I really lo- enjoy connecting with Drew on today's podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Bioptimizers, an incredibly longtime sponsor of this podcast because they have amazing products that you continue to buy because they work. I think every one of my clients is certainly on mass zymes. I take that consistently every day. I like to take a lot. I like to take five in the morning on an empty stomach and then three to four with each of my high protein containing meals. This really helps me extract the protein from the meat and the ultimate protein sources that I'm consuming rather than just eating it and assuming that my body's going to utilize it. I want to make sure that my body can digest, absorb, and assimilate all these highly cost, uh, high cost proteins and high quality proteins that I'm consuming. It's not just about what you consume. It's about what your body can digest, absorb, and assimilate. So I highly suggest you head over to bioptimizers.com and use the code MUSCLE10 to get 10% off. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S, bioptimizers.com. Use the code MUSCLE10. They've also got an incredible suite of incredible products from P3OM to support digestion, Capex to support people on a ketogenic diet. And you guys all know my incredible, uh, how much of an incredible fan I am of their product, um, Magnesium Breakthrough, which is seven different magnesium chelates. Um, and they're also expanding their line consi- consistently every year with research and doing incredible products. You guys get hooked up with 10% off all of their products. Head over to buyoptimizers.com and use the code MUSCLE10. Enjoy the podcast with my great buddy, Drew Manning. So you did it. You did this twice. I was like, you did in 2010 and you did like the 10 year anniversary. You decided to do it again. Yep. Yep. I did, man. It was kind of crazy. I swore I would never do it after the first one, to be honest with you. Uh, But things changed. 2020 happened and I almost, I felt kind of called to do it a second time. So yeah, man, it was crazy. But once again, I was uh, humbled. It was way harder than I thought it was going to be, even though I thought it was going to be easier the second time around. It's it's not true. Harder harder. to lose the weight or add the weight? Just harder mentally and emotionally, not, not to gain the weight. Gaining the weight kind of came easy. Losing the weight was hard, but I feel like I've, you know, my knowledge or using, you know, newer techniques or protocols to lose the weight just because I'm, you know, smarter than I was 10 years ago. Uh, losing the weight wasn't hard necessarily. It was hard mentally and emotionally, but uh, it just like the emotional aspect of it. I went through a breakup during the middle of it. 
And that was really, really hard because uh, it was unexpected and that kind of threw me for a loop. But I had to like finish the journey, even though I was struggling inside with those emotions of going through a hard breakup, right? Um, so that's what made it like 10 times worse. <laughs> but yeah. I survived and I made it through. So hey, for you, man. So yeah. the first time you did it, what inspired that? It was like, I just want to kind of relate to what my, my clients are feeling. Yeah. So the first time I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters and we all played sports. And so my whole in life was, you know, I I knew what it was like to be in shape and that's all I ever knew. It just came very easily for me. And then I had a client uh, who was my brother-in-law at the time and and me and him would struggle with, (laughs) I'm sure you've had clients like this. I just, you know, couldn't stay consistent. And for me at the time, I couldn't understand why he couldn't just follow the meal plans and do the workouts because for me, it was easy. But for him, it was really hard. And he kind of told me, he's like, Drew, you don't understand how hard it is for me or for people like me because you think it's easy. And I would get frustrated with him because he would give me excuses. And but when he said, you don't understand, I kind of took that to heart. I'm like, you know what? I don't understand why it's so hard for you. And then so I started thinking of ideas of, okay, how can I gain a better understanding? And for whatever reason, this idea of getting fat on purpose kind of just popped up in my head. And I, I, I felt once again, called to do this experiment, uh, if you will. And that's kind of what started that process of like, okay, I need to gain a better understanding to better relate to my clients. And that's how the first journey came to be. Yeah. I'd love to walk through kind of what that looked like the first time and what you, what you ate and what you did. And I think, I think learning to understand someone else's perspective is uh, one, it's, it's, it's very admirable for you to try to do that. And two, it's probably a very complex scenario, right? Everyone's thinks so differently. Everyone's brain works so differently. Everyone has this whole set of, you know, experiences and traumas that kind of lead to where they are now. And uh, you definitely got to uh, experience one aspect of it. And I think it's, um, yeah. it's fun. I love to hear about it. So in the, in the first time you stopped training for six months, just started kind of eating everything in sight. Yeah. The idea was, yeah, no exercise for six months. And then I didn't want to do what Morgan Spurlock did, which was just focus on fast food. So I actually didn't do a ton of fast food because I think most of us understand that, okay, fast food is unhealthy for us. Um, I wanted to focus on everyday, uh, you know, American foods that are super highly processed, that are cheap, affordable, convenient, and, you know, taste really, really good. I'm not going to lie. The food did taste good. You know, so food that we grew up with here in the United States in the 70s and 80s. So, you know, sugary cereals, juices, granola bars, chips, cookies, crackers, you know, sugary sodas, you know, hot pockets, uh, SpaghettiOs, <laughs> you know, uh, top ramen, frozen foods, those kinds of things is what I ate most of the time. So did, now, now, did you force feed yourself, Drew, or did you just uh, kind of eat crappy foods? Like, were you intentionally like, I'm going to eat more than I want? Or were you just eating crappy foods to satiety? So once a week, I would do a food challenge for pure entertainment reasons for YouTube, right? So like once a week, I would do like a man versus food style food challenge at a restaurant or something like that. And that I definitely gorged myself and pushed myself. Every other day was I would eat until I was full and then I would eat again when I was hungry again. And it just so happened that I probably back in those days in 2011, I didn't really track my calories or macros or I wish I did, but I, I just didn't back then. But if I had to estimate, it was probably around five to 6,000 calories a day, just because when you're eating these highly processed foods, you know, you don't feel satiated for a long period of time. Like I could have a huge bowl of cinnamon toast crunch, which was my favorite, by the way, I could have a huge bowl of that. But then an hour or two later, just be absolutely starving, right? And so I would eat five, six times a day. And it just those kinds of empty calories just added up uh, eating the, that processed food to where I was eating five to 6,000 calories. And 
you know, for some people they might be like, whoa, that's impossible. You must have like stuffed your face. But honestly, like, you know, someone like me, you know, with a good amount of lean muscle mass, that was an athlete, like I could throw some food down uh, pretty easily, especially processed foods. And those calories add up pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. And did you notice your hunger signal changed over the six months? Like, did you, did you find yourself getting more or less hungry as the time progressed or was it pretty much the same the whole time? No, the, the pain of hunger was more intense uh, with these huge spikes in blood sugar levels and crashes. Because when I would, when I would get that crash, you know, you feel jittery, you feel almost like you're dying, right? You don't feel very comfortable. And so you, your body's signaling you to get that another, get another spike in. It creates this vicious cycle of addiction and dependency on that. And so, uh, you know, before that, I was eating, you know, five meals per day uh, back in the day and not, not anymore. The hunger was still there, but it was more intense in between meals where if I didn't eat, I felt like I was going to die. Um, and so that's kind of the, the, the difference between the way I ate before and this eating this way. Does that make sense? Of course. Um, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And so there was no, there's no awareness around like what you're eating. It's just like, I'm going to eat whatever I feel like. So there's no like protein content. It was just like, I'm just going to no. eat. Yeah, I'm just going to eat. Yeah, whatever it was. Sometimes I would have like my audience kind of vote on what they wanted to see me eat. Um, when I did it the second time, it was definitely more strategic. It was definitely more organized and structured. Like I would do, I did a little, uh, some experiments with keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, but a dirty version of those. And so on the second journey in 2020, I would do a week long, a long experiment and do blood work before and after kind of comparing a dirty keto versus dirty paleo, dirty vegan, dirty vegetarian and kind of draw my blood to kind of see what the differences were between those diets just kind of show that, you know, Hey, but <laughs> just cause you're doing a certain diet doesn't mean that you're becoming healthier or it doesn't necessarily mean that it is healthier for you. Um, but in the, on the first journey, yeah, I didn't really, you know, track protein or uh, macros or anything like that. Um, it was just kind of like, you know, eat whatever. Yeah. And did you on the first time do health markers pre and post like blood markers? Yes, I did. I had a doctor that would monitor me throughout the journey. And then when I went on Dr. Oz, he did some of his own blood work on me as well. And so, yeah, it was, it's pretty much what you would expect, <laughs> you know, eating 5,000, 6,000 calories, processed foods, not exercising. Uh, I developed a non-alcoholic fatty liver that first journey. We talked about that on the Dr. Oz show. Um, my blood pressure got up to 167 over 113. My testosterone dropped to the low 200s, you know, and I was 30, 31 at the time. So that wasn't fun. Um, and then obviously all my other, you know, blood markers were, were in the red for the most part. I don't really have exact numbers on all of it, uh, just because it was over 10 years ago. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. And how long did it take afterwards to get those numbers back to in healthy range? Yeah, actually, it happened pretty quickly. Most of them returned within 30 days. And so what I did after eating that way for six months and then, you know, going cold turkey, eating healthy food again, the first 30 days, I didn't actually exercise. I skipped exercise completely. I just stretched and walked and did a little bit of core work just so I didn't like rush back into, you know, uh, the gym and, 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 you know, possibly injuring myself. I just kind of took it easy and just changed my diet and within just those first 30 days, a lot of that stuff was reversed, um, you know, into the green area of like my lipids, for example, and uh, triglycerides and, you know, glucose numbers, those things kind of came back to normal pretty quickly. But then obviously over the next five months, uh, lifting and, and exercising definitely improved them even more. So 
Yeah, it, I learned. I've learned over the years that your body's pretty resilient. If you treat it right consistently, it can it can heal itself. Now, you know, my journey of doing it for six months is not the same as someone that's been that way for six years or ten years or twenty years. Right? Uh, it's completely different for them. It might take a lot longer to heal their body. For me, my body bounced back pretty quickly, probably because that's my must like where I'm at most of the time, and that's kind of more like my, uh, my homeostasis. Is, you know, that's kind of where I, I fall in that area. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Tell me about the second time. So I get it. You're called to do it again. So how how are you gauging your your fat gain or your or your weight gain? Was it were you trying to hit a certain amount per week, or were you just kind of eating? Like what did it look like the second time? Yeah, the second time around, I guess I should explain why. Like you know, more about why I did it the second time. It was kind of. Uh, uh, like I said, I felt called to do it, but it was kind of because 2020 happened. There's a lot of division in the world. And for me, my message ever since the first experience was, you know, I learned, I developed a lot of empathy for those that struggle. You know, for me, being in shape my entire life, it seems so simple and easy until I did it. And then I was humbled and I totally changed my perspective about helping people transform and how, just how easy we think it is. And, and especially in the fitness industry where we just, you know, here's your macros, here's your calories, here's your workouts, here's your supplements, boom, 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 you do this and you get this body. And we, we've kind of tried to simplify it for people. But for me, the human experience, the mental and emotional side of transformation is so undervalued, underlooked in this industry where we don't really give it a lot of credit. We don't really <clears throat> let people, for people don't feel understood when it comes to that side of it. And so I developed a ton of empathy. And so ever since that first experiment, my message or my goal is to bring more empathy into the fitness industry. And then when 2020 happened with all the division in the world, I felt like we needed more empathy than ever. And I thought, man, if I could do this again, where social media today, you know, is totally different than what it was back in 2011. There was no live streaming. There was no TikToks. There was, um, you know, no Insta stories. And not a lot of people saw it as it happened. They heard about it after the fact, right? And they didn't really get experience it as I was doing it. So, so those were kind of like the main reasons of why I wanted to do it again. Also to show people that are in their 40s, you know, I know you're you're over 40 and, you know, I'm sure you hear people all the time like, oh, you know, it's a lot harder for me now or back in the day, it used to be so easy. And so I wanted to give that age demographic some hope and let them know that it's still possible. Uh, so that's kind of why I did it the second time. And what was your question? You asked something. And did you do it kind of methodically as far as the weekend? Yes. Yes. This time around, I had so many... <laughs> The first time around, I mean, to be totally honest with you, Ben, like I, it was just me and my wife at the time, just like, you know, filming stuff on my phone. I would upload it to YouTube and try to edit it. It was like very, very poor production. This time around, you know, obviously I had a team in place, a marketing team and kind of structured it and we kind of, you know, made it more organized and, and more methodical. Um, where, you know, uh, you know, I, I was more strategic about what I ate and, you know, how much of that food and tracking all of that and having a doctor do my blood work multiple times. Just kind of show people the difference in those diets, right? That I mentioned. And that was that was only a week long experiment, but um, yeah, this time around, I definitely tracked my calories, my macros every single day, so that people could follow along and see exactly what I was eating. And yeah, I mean, um, you know, I wasn't aiming for a certain number every day. Once again, I was just kind of telling people, "Hey, I'm eating till I'm full, and then I'll eat again when I'm hungry." And then once a week, I did do the food challenge thing, which sucks so bad. I know people find it so entertaining, but it's the most miserable thing because you'll do like a food challenge for 45 minutes. And then for the next eight to 10 hours, you're like out of commission. You you can't, you know, function. <laughs> you're just like laying down super uncomfortable and a lot of pain and discomfort. Um, and so I kind of wish I didn't do that, but you know, you know how it is. <laughs> you're making content for, for people's is a, is a hard thing sometimes. So 
Yeah. So tell me about the food challenges. What were you doing? Give me some examples. Oh man. Like sometimes restaurants would come and invite me. Like I did the huge spaghetti challenge at this Italian place. I would do, I went to a Korean chicken wing place that had all kinds of chicken wings. And I would just, um, it would be me and sometimes a couple of friends would show up and we kind of compete to see who could eat the most. As far as like official, like real food challenges, um, I can't, I don't, I can't think of anything where it was like an official food challenge except for the first. Yeah. So what, what would that be? Give me an example of what you, I mean, you did this spaghetti, the chicken wings, what else? Yeah. Uh, for my vegan week, I did Oreos, <laughs> like how many Oreos I could eat. How many did you get? I can't remember. I have to go back and look at the YouTube video. Not a lot. It's not, I'm not very, it wasn't very impressive. I'll be totally honest with you. I want to say like 20 or 30, you know, and and you know how many calories are in Oreos. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then Paleo Week was was a little bit healthier. It was, was steak and and mashed or uh, baked potatoes as many as I could eat. But you know, I, um, let's see what were some other crazy ones that I did. I can't think of any other ones right now. But yeah, it's just crazy stuff like that. <laughs> and so now that you're kind of back to normal, do you typically do cheat days? Do you do like what's your favorite cheat food? That kind of stuff. Man, my, my I mean, my thing is is pizza. I could eat pizza every single day if I. If I could, if I like, you know, uh, and I'm sure I could, but I just choose not to. Um, I really don't have cheap days necessarily. I kind of I really, I'm not super strategic about all that now. I used to be very, very strict. As I've gotten older, I feel like, you know, doing a lot of inner work on myself, uh, working on my ego, uh, letting go of my ego and just kind of like realizing that there's more to life than just being super lean and super fit. Um, I'm not as strict as I used to be. And so, you know, as far as like having structured cheat days or scheduled cheat days, I kind of just live more in the moment right now. Right now, currently I'm doing a 30 day challenge. So I am kind of like on a strict diet again where I am following a certain protocol, but that, that doesn't happen as often as it used to be just because I'm not, I've just got over the years, I've just gotten to this place where I'm like, I don't need to be the leanest or the strongest or like the most fit person. It doesn't mean I want to be, I don't want to be in shape. Of course I do. I want to be healthy for my kids, but it's just, it's less obsession and it's less, you know, rigid or, or strict about that. And so, yeah, I still, I still eat that food because, you know, me and my kids will travel or we'll make you know, pancakes for breakfast or we'll go out to dinner and I'll have some birthday cake at their birthday parties and things like that. Like life's too short to be eating chicken and broccoli at your kid's birthday party. <laughs> Totally, man. Yeah, we're on the same journey. Like, obviously, I was very neurotic and very obsessed for a very long time. And now at 40, 41, yeah. just ease up, man. Like, I, I, I love my life. I love my time yeah. with my kids. And it's about being happy and ultimately giving back, like you're saying. And I'm curious what your message is or your mission is now as far as taking the wisdom, taking these lessons of, of dropping ego. And I will want to dig into that. And, and giving this to your audience. You've got a very significant audience. I'm curious what the mission has become since this most recent fit to fat to fit adventure yeah so my my whole goal right now is to bring more awareness of the importance of operating at a place of self love versus self hate and shifting people's perception of what success is in health and fitness and so over the years as i've done the work on myself and really kind of changed my approach to helping people transform there's so much more of a shift on the focus on the mental emotional side versus the physical side which is you know workouts and diet and all the physical stuff we know we were supposed to do. I think most people, when it comes to transformation, struggle more so on the mental and emotional side. And so my goal is to bring more self-awareness and helping people on that side, because I think as people become more self-aware, 
they learn how to love themselves and they learn how to fall in love with the process. And what happens when someone loves themselves versus hates themselves, they, they learn to fall in love with the process, not because they are, are hoping or their, their happiness is dependent upon results. It's more so fall in love with, with the process because they're worth it and they deserve to feel healthy. People think being successful in the health and fitness industry is to get the body of like, you know, 5% body fat and look lean and shredded and jacked. And that's cool. But you and I both know that doesn't bring fulfillment long-term for, for people. People think that's what's going to make them happy. And so they make their happiness dependent on achieving that. And yes, some people can achieve that and they will achieve that. But other people will, will always feel less than or less valued because our society places so much value on looking a certain way. And if you don't, then you're less valued or you're less than. And uh, people think they need that in order to be happy. And my whole goal is to help shift people's perception to operate out of a place of self-love and do these things that might seem like chores to some of us of eating healthy and exercising, but learning how to do them. Because if you love yourself, you're going to want to feel good. You're going to want to treat your body kindly and, and um, feed it good things and get good amount of sleep and manage your stress and, and eat real food that makes you feel good. Versus if you're always chasing for results and you make your happiness dependent upon results, it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be what you want it to be. And so my whole goal is shifting people's perception, building self-awareness and helping them operate out of a place of self-love and, and taking the results out of it. Like, like a lot of people think, like I said, they're, you know, once they get once one day when they get this body, then they'll be happy. Then people will love them and then they can finally love themselves. But the problem is that that might not happen. You can control the input. You can't always control the output, right? For some people, you know, they can try really hard and they might see some, uh, some Im improvement or gains or progress. But, you know, if their, if their goal is to look like an Instagram model, you know, 5% body fat, it just might not be in the cards for them. And that's okay. Like helping people realize like it's okay not to be this perfect body that they think they need to be. And so my whole goal is to shift or disrupt the fitness industry and make it more about empathy, self-love and loving yourself on the journey instead of saying, okay, one day I'll love myself or one day I'll be happy once I get this body. And that's kind of my message now is helping people build that self-awareness. So there's a lot of focus on the mental and emotional side. So a lot of the stuff I preach or teach to people is more mindfulness approach first and foremost. So instead of focusing on diet and exercise right away, it's like, okay, what we're going to do today is we're going to make our bed. We're going to journal. We're going to do a gratitude list. We're going to learn how to meditate. We're going to learn some simple breathwork techniques. Uh, we're going to do some positive affirmations. And I feel like if people can focus and uh, overcome those mental and emotional hurdles and, they, and they, they learn how to do that, the physical stuff that we all know we're supposed to do becomes so much easier once they're in a, a good place mentally and emotionally and, and working on those things instead of just trying to willpower your way you know, to a new, you know, to a healthier lifestyle, uh, which a lot of people just can't do. They don't know how to willpower their way to do that. And so for me, that's kind of how I've changed or focused my approach over the years. And, and that's because I've done this, this experiment twice now and obviously done the work on myself too, to realize, um, the well, working in is just as important or more important than working out. It's funny, Drew. You may not know this about me, man. When I stepped on stage in the Mr. Olympia in 2012, I was my dream, right? Is that what I wanted yeah. to do? I was 17 years old. And uh, I walked on stage and I said I was the most insecure I ever was in my life. I accomplished my life dream, but wow. it, it didn't change who I was. It, it, you know, everything you think it's going to become 
you're like, oh, this is empty. So it, it then it then allowed me to tr- turn that that light bulb or that that spotlight turn around on myself, right? And I tr- started sending this journey within. And for the last ten years, it's been the same thing. It's this this. I don't know if you know who Jim Rohn is that he's he's passed away now, but Jim Rohn's a great motivational speaker, and he said. Don't set the goal to become a millionaire for the money. Set the goal to, for the person it makes of you to achieve it. And that's, that's the message I'm, I'm conveying also in fitness is like, I want everyone to train. I want everyone to be able to follow a plan, but it's not for the end result. It's the person you're becoming in the process. So there's a, there's a great parallel between what we're doing. And I think uh, you get this, but our audience might not get it is all these, these mindfulness practices that you're promoting and, and uh, suggesting people do. It's not just some esoteric woo-woo suggestion to you're gonna you become a more spiritual person. It's literally changing the way your brain works, right? It's changing the pathways through which your brain sends these nervous transmissions. And instead of always going through the amygdala, which is gonna drive up adrenaline, it's gonna go through the prefrontal cortex and allow you to be more intentional in your decision making, allow you to be more present, more conscious, and literally changing the way of life, man. So what you're doing. Uh, you know, you're, you're doing a phenomenal job. You're on the right track, man. It's so awesome to hear. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you're talking about it too. And this is kind of where my hope is that we shift to more of this type of approach instead of what it used to be 20, 30 years ago, where it's all about, you know, your body composition and what your physical looks look like. And so my hope is that this will change because I, the other thing I want to do is help those in the fitness industry become more empathetic and more understanding towards those who, you know, they might've been judgmental towards before thinking like, Oh, like, why can't you just eat less food and work out? And, and, and there's this division that happens because of that. So my hope is that people be more empathetic because I'm coming from the other side of it. I used to be in that camp where I was always in shape thinking this is the most important thing and thinking it's easy and thinking it's simple. I want to convey to people like the old version of me, and say to them, like, we have to be more empathetic because no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And so I, I love that, you know, a lot of us have a lot of knowledge of learning how to, you know, fix people and transform people. But you can have all the knowledge in the world. But if you don't know how to relate to someone or if they don't feel like you value them or understanding them or hearing them, they're not going to be as willing to listen to your message until you, you know, they feel like you truly care about them. And that's kind of what Fit to Fit, Fit is all about is bringing more awareness of, of, look, it's a lot more complex than we think it is, right? Yes, you can. There is a, a physical side of it, which, yes, if everyone did it on a daily basis, they would see results. But why don't they do it on a daily basis? It's probably because it, it's so interconnected to the mental, emotional challenges or traumas that they had in their life that they don't quite yet understand why they do what they do. And so it's important for people to, like you mentioned, you know, meditate or be or a journal or do a gratitude list, which rewires your brain to help you get out of those thought patterns that, you, that you've been stuck in for years or decades. And if you can learn how to do that, then, like I said, the physical stuff becomes so much easier. But until you do that, you're just going to be, you know, spinning your wheels over and over and over again, trying this diet or trying that diet or taking this pill or doing that to hopefully fix you. But the key is to really just turn in and face your demons and do the hard work. I, I feel like the inner work is the hard work. <laughs> you know, working out and, and eating healthy food is nothing in comparison to going to therapy and learning, you know, what your triggers are and why they're there and, and doing that work because that work right there face, uh, forces you to face your demons and forces you to get very uncomfortable. And so these things that I mentioned, uh, making your bed, you know, taking cold showers, meditating, journaling, uh, positive affirmations, in my opinion, what they do is they help you, they help train your brain to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And if you can be more comfortable in uncomfortable situations, whether it's meditating, which is very uncomfortable for some people, 
or whether it's taking a cold shower for 60 seconds, which is very uncomfortable for people. Then when it comes to, you know, diet and exercise, which is also very uncomfortable, now your brain is starting to believe in itself that, hey, we can do these hard things that we didn't think we could before. And that's why this stuff uh, that I mentioned on the mental emotional side is so important for people to do if they really want to truly transform and have it be long term. It's learning how to rewire your neural pathways that like just like you mentioned. Yeah, so true, man. I, that, that makes a lot of sense. It, it, you know, it seems as though step one of every fitness program should be exactly what we're talking about is this concept of like, hey, you know, and I actually do this with, with my coaching is the first month is never intense training. It's always about like, I need to increase the size of your body's stress, like what I call your stress bucket, like your ability to tolerate stress because you're probably already stressed in so many different ways. If I just come along and negligently dump more stress on you, it's going to set you up for failure. So how then do I give you these interventions that we're talking about to ultimately just make it more, make your, your mind more capable of enduring those? I don't even know if it's, if it's like hard situations, but it's like unfamiliar situations, right? Like you've been in workouts, Drew, where like what you may have called hard 10 years ago, now you're like, no, it's not hard. <laughs> it's just a little uncomfortable, right? And But if it's unfamiliar, then it's that much more uncomfortable because you're not sure when you're going to die. You're like, oh, this thing could crush me at any point. So your brain's going into fight or flight and you can't repress it until you become comfortable with it. And I think that's a, it's a beautiful message, man. There's a lot of, lot of value in there. Yeah. And like we were talking about before, surfing, for example, <laughs> surfing is so uncomfortable for me because I didn't grow up doing it. And so every time I go out, like my brain is, it's a new experience every single time. And I kind of have to force myself to stay out there and really just get uncomfortable and suck, let myself suck at it. But I'm showing up. I think that's the key right there is showing up, doing your best. And it's going to be uncomfortable, but you know, if you do it for days, weeks, months, consistently, years consistently, then like you said, you know, 10 years ago, what you thought was hard. Now it's like, oh, that's, that's might be a little bit uncomfortable, but it's so much more manageable, so much easier now. I think that's the key right there is, is getting yourself uncomfortable in small situations at first, right? Don't just be like, okay, I'm never drinking alcohol again, even though you've been drinking for the past 30 years, I'm never touching sugar again. You know, I'm going to work out seven days a week, like get shredded. Like people have these ambitions and I think it's cool, but to go from zero to hundred and maintain that is just not, you know, probably possible for the majority of the population. And so starting out with these small baby steps and, 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 and getting those things out of the way first and foremost, and having that become a habit or part of your daily life makes that other stuff so much easier. And so I love that you're talking about that. And I love that you're kind of shifting that because I, I, like I said, I feel like there's been a shift over the past 10 years where we're starting to realize there's more to transformation than just macros and calories and diets and supplements that are going to fix somebody's body. Because we all want the easy way out, right? We all want the magic pill. But we all don't want to hear that we have to do the hard work. And that's, that's the, the problem is like people, people's perception is like, I, this it's too hard, right? We built a lifestyle, um, you know, if you live in a first world country, for the most part, where every discomfort you have, we have a solution for it. We have something that will make you feel comfortable in those moments. Like if you have a headache, you can take a pill. You know, if you're cold, you can turn the heater on or you can take a warm shower. You have a soft bed, you have a car with soft seats and, you know, all the comforts you can imagine to take away any kind of discomfort. And now when people are trying to transform, you're going to have to get uncomfortable. You're going to have to do some freaking hard things. And if you don't know how to, you know, get to that point and, and, and that get to that new mindset and, and rewire your brain like we're talking about, it's going to be really, really difficult or nearly impossible for a lot of people unless they have that 
David Goggins, inner David Goggins to push himself <laughs> to that extreme, but a lot of people don't, right? And so I, I, it's really important for me to help people realize that true transformation is, is more so on the mental emotional side than just the physical side. And these types of things like meditation and gratitude lists and positive affirmations for me, one, have changed my life, um, not, not in helping me lose weight, but in helping me, like, for example, I went through a divorce about seven, eight years ago, uh, went through a breakup, like I said, you know, a couple of years ago. And these types of life situations that happen can break a lot of people. And if you don't know how to do the work, the inner work, like I'm talking about, it's really hard to pull yourself out of these, these dark places. And so for me, that's why I'm trying to help people realize the importance of becoming more self-aware. And as you become more self-aware, you're more in control of your life. There's a great quote from Anthony DeMello, I think, who said, what you are aware of, you're in control of. And what you're not aware of controls you. I think so many people are stuck in that place of lacking self-awareness where they don't even know why they do, where they don't even know like their triggers and what triggers them. They just know how to react to those triggers, where sometimes it's food, sometimes it's alcohol, sometimes it's drugs, whatever it is, we distract ourselves from the emotional pain of life with some type of substance or escape, if you will. And we don't really understand why we're doing what we're doing. And then we, we eat the cake or we, we drink alcohol and we think, man, why did I do that? Like, why can't I just, you know, be disciplined? And if you don't learn how to do the inner work to figure it out, you'll never be in control of it because you're not really aware of it yet. Once you become aware of it, now it's easier to control and easier to manage because you're understanding why you do what you do. And so I think that's kind of my hope is to help people build that self-awareness so that they can be more in control of their life um, instead of just kind of floating around unaware of why they do what they do. And then they're stuck in this reactivity type of mindset where they just react to the triggers and the stress. And they're like, fuck it, give me some, give me a drink, give me some, <laughs> give me some, some beer and some pizza and, you know, and then drown your sorrows. And then, you know, nothing ever really gets fixed. So Hopefully that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And society is kind of built that way, isn't it? From the time you're a child, you're not really exposed to any adversity. You're just kind of coddled and everything's easy. And then you get to, say, your teenage years or early 20s, never having been exposed to something that's really physically or mentally taxing. And all of a sudden, the world goes, hey, now you got to figure shit out on your own. And people are like, I can't do this. I'm overwhelmed. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Give me a pill. And it's just few further muting of of the sensation, which then removes us even further from our body, doesn't it? It's alcohol, it's Xanax, it's all these things that are just this constant muting of, you know, the pain that ultimately we're supposed to be facing or we should be facing. And, you know, part of my mission is being a great dad and, and then passing the message on to other dads and moms to say, hey, you know what? Coddling your kids isn't doing them a favor, like intentionally exposing them to hard things in a safe way is yeah. an essential part of life, right? So I think that that's part of it is like, if, if my kids are going to get to their 18th birthday, never having been exposed to something that's difficult, and then all of a sudden they kick them out of the house and go, hey, go to university or college and you're on your own. How do you expect them to possibly succeed, right? They need to learn yeah. independence. They need to learn that they can do it on their own progressively. And and that, that puts a lot of onus on the parent, doesn't to be intentional about how what you're subjecting them to, which is again, a whole a huge amount of responsibility that most parents may not be able to handle. Yeah. I think that's great. That's, that's great advice right there. And I, I, I think I saw you, you know, you have two kids and you posted about a book you read a little while ago. I can't remember the name of it, but um, I think for me, like, yeah, getting your kids to do hard things is so valuable. But the, I think for me, the hard part is like, I have two girls that are preteens and, and they, 
we struggle a lot with getting them to do what I want them to do. Cause I'm like, this is going to be better for you if you do this, but then they just okay. start getting to the hate. They're like, no, I know better. I know what I need to do. But here's the thing that causes a lot of stress in your life as a parent. I think you understand this. All the parents out there understand this, like dealing with kids, especially during this adolescent phase where they're kind of becoming another version of themselves is really, really hard. And at least it's been hard for me. It, it almost broke me, but uh, less than a year ago, I'd had to take from break, a break from social media because just going through some hard things with with kids is way harder than I thought it was going to be, especially as your, your girls become young women. Man, it's it's intense and it's it throws you for a loop. At least for me, it was really, really hard where I had to take a break from social media. I had to tell my team like, hey, guys, I need to take uh, some time off to like recenter. Um, you know, I was like really depressed and I didn't think it would affect me that much. But this is what I'm talking about. These types of life situations happen in people's lives. And we don't know what's going on in someone's life of why they're struggling. Like for me, I didn't go to this place of like, you know, gorging myself and feeding myself with food, but I definitely numbed myself with, with other things or other escapes, whether it's social media or movies or um, <clears throat> whatever it is, there's lots of things that we can escape with, but there's things that happen in people's lives where fitness might not be their number one priority during that phase of their life. And I think that's okay to realize that, you know, uh, you know, during hard times in our life, like we need to be compassionate towards ourselves and realize that, you know, if we're trying to be strict with a diet, we're trying to be strict with our, you know, exercise routine. Like you said, that adds more stress in your life. And if you're already stressed out to the max with other life situations, there's not a whole lot left of you because you're, you're just like your cortisol through the roof all day, every day. And eventually you're going to burn out. And so finding ways to, um, you know, um, uh, bring those cortisol levels down, like we mentioned, you know, meditation or journaling or just going for a walk out in nature, man, that right there is so huge. And I think people don't know these tools yet. And that's kind of want, why I want to bring these type of tools into the health and fitness industry so people can better manage um, these types of life situations where they don't just go, you know, 100% on and 100% off. And then they just gain 50 pounds back and just like stop exercising completely and just everything goes to shit. Um, I think if people had these tools that you're talking about, I think it would be very helpful. But, you know, we, you know, we just don't talk about it enough in the fitness industry to, to give these tools to people. They think, okay, I need to go to a therapist, which for some people, they might think that's woo-woo or taboo or whatever. But, like, you have to be open to new tools because what works for you before might not be working for you now. And that's one lesson I've learned is you got to be open to new tools that can help uh, help you navigate, you know, new territory or, or new experiences in your life. Yeah, man, a little perspective on your daughters. And like, I don't know the circumstance, but I'm going through something very similar as with going through growing up in a divorced family, they, they could be receiving mixed messages as far as values, right? Your, your ex-wife may value oh, one yeah. thing and you may value to something different. And so uh, if the family was together, or if you were able to inculcate habits, right, daily habits of health and you know, like example being our, my kids and I walk every morning and we have a healthy breakfast and we do meditations and breathing before we do every meal. And I'm inculcating those habits. So by the time we get to teenage years, it's no longer me having to ask. It's just part of who they are. Whereas yeah. as a child, if they're getting conflicting messages, they're just like, I don't have to do this at mom's, but I have to do it at dad's. And now it almost feels like a punishment, right? And I'm going yeah. through something similar where when I ask them to do stuff, whereas in the past, it would have been very easy. Now it's like, oh, dad's punishing us, right? That's a hard situation. Yeah. Imagine how hard it is for them, right? Like you're trying to do something good for them, 
but they just think yeah. you're trying to punish them because it's hard and it just it's not hard it's just not a habit and i think it's it's um the un, the uncertain values like the flip-flopping of values can become a very confusing place for your daughters man and i'm not sure what they're going through like i said i don't know your situation but maybe just like sitting down and, and having a conversation about why this is important and why we value this and everyone values things differently and they can ultimately decide on their values but um, you know, your values are this, and this is why you think it's important. That may make the circumstance uh, maybe a little more tolerable for them, right? You, you separately. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a challenge, Ben. It is. And I think learning how to have uncomfortable conversations, uh, you know, is, is the key to overcoming without emotion. That. <laughs> yeah, without emotion. That's the yeah. hard part. It's so hard not to get emotional. I, that's the thing. Like, like, everything that I do, whether it's me being a parent or running business, multiple businesses, is an opportunity to do the work on myself, right? Because everything is a reflection of how you see yourself. And so if there's something about your kids that you're struggling with or that's causing you to be triggered or react, that's a good opportunity to look at within and say, okay, why is this bothering me so much? What is it about me that I'm that uh, maybe I, could, I haven't seen yet or I can work on uh, because this right here is causing a lot of stress. And it's not always about the external things that are happening in our life. It's how we react to those things. And so learning you know, uh, why we're triggered is super important. So the work never ends, just like working out and eating healthy and, and living a healthy lifestyle never ends. It's not like you get, you know, 5% body fat and then you're done. Like you, you stop, right? You, it's, it's continually working and, and growing and, um, and finding new ways to, um, finding new ways to, you know, uh, navigate, you know, new territory, like I mentioned. And so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things like it's just it's a part of life. Like this is an adventure. This is a journey. If you look at life happening for you instead of to you, you'll be a lot happier. It doesn't mean that the pain's going to go away. It doesn't mean like it's not going to suck. It's still going to suck. But if you can finally get to the point where you can breathe a little bit and say, OK, what is this? What is this trying to teach me? Like, what is this here for to teach me? What can I learn from this versus like, like, why is this happening to me? Why me? Like, God sucks. My parents suck. Like, this sucks, that sucks, and you blame everyone else, you stay in that victim mentality mindset, you know, you, then you're going to be stuck there and you're going to be very, very unhappy. And that's where you'll probably go to numb and, and distract yourself from, from the pain. And that's, that can lead to a very unhealthy lifestyle. Um, and so I think if you can, you know, shift your perception of looking at hard situations as happening for you instead of to you, then I feel like you can, you know, get out of that situation, get out of that victim mindset and not stay stuck there forever. Um, but, you know, I think the other hard part is we try and run away from pain. Anytime we feel pain, we, 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 <clears throat> we don't like it. And so we, we distract ourselves, we numb ourselves, we, we run away from it. But I believe it was Rumi that said the cure for pain is in the pain. And so instead of running away from the pain, face the pain and say, okay, what are you here to teach me? What, I'm, what am I supposed to learn from this? I think that's how we grow and progress in this life. And I think that's a great attitude to have, no matter how hard times get, there's definitely times like where I had to check out and like, it was too hard for me, but that doesn't mean I gave up. It doesn't mean I didn't do the work. I just had to do the work. It took me seven or eight months to pull myself out of that, of continually doing the work on myself. So it doesn't mean that, it, you know, you're, you're going to be pain-free and you're not going to experience suffering. You're still going to experience the suffering, but let yourself feel the pain, let yourself be uncomfortable in the pain. And then once you're ready to do the work and figure out, you know, what, why this pain is, is, is in your life. And then I feel like at, at that point, then you can start to pull yourself out of that. But I think a lot of people get stuck there and they, they, just, they stay bitter and they stay angry. And, and I don't blame them. I, I know that feeling of like not wanting to do the work or not wanting to build more self-awareness because as you become aware, you become responsible now, <laughs> you know, yeah. 
And that's really hard pill for people to swallow. True. You know, there's a lesson I learned during my bodybuilding career, and I don't know how I picked it up or why I started doing it, but I, I, I've often been quoted as saying, in the, in the deepest depths of your hardest hour, smile, or in the deepest depths of your hardest set, smile. And, and it's something I started doing early on in my bodybuilding career. And I liken it like coming up to the edge of a roller coaster where you're just about to go off that first cliff, you know, and you can tighten up and panic, or you can put, put a big smile on your face and go, you know what? I'm strapped in. I'm going down no matter whether I like it or not. I'm going to enjoy this and put a big smile on my face, right? And so now when you're yeah. facing obstacles, and, and Ram Dass, if you've read Ram Dass, it's definitely worth a yeah. read. He, he speaks yeah. about his, his, his baby gurus, his little gurus, right? His, so everywhere, every time he would, he would experience a circumstance that stressed him out or made him angry or, or made him emotional, he would smile and say, ah, I see you, guru. You've come back to teach mm-hmm. me. So these little gurus pop up everywhere in your life. And our kids are our best little gurus, aren't they? And you, and you say, I see you, Guru, and, and you're here to teach me. And thank you for my lesson, Guru. So now rather than saying, I don't know if I can handle this, you go, ah, oh, here's a lesson for me to learn. Thank you, Guru. So now when I encounter those obstacles and those huge challenges that sometimes like I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to get through this. Just put a smile <laughs> yeah. on your face, man. You're like, all right, I guess I got to figure this out. And eventually yeah. you start to believe in your own ability to follow through. Because eventually, like when you take that smile and you go, I have no idea how I'm going to figure it out, but I'm going to figure it out. Uh, that mindset just seems to work. Like I've really taken on a completely new perspective on things that are hard. And I think that's a, maybe an interesting thing to add to your tool belt and just like, yeah, thank you. And bring it on. Right. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Also for people that are, you know, going through, you know, a transformation journey where they're going to hit plateaus, they're going to hit, you know, hard phases of that where they might not be happy with the results. And so I think that's another great lesson of like doing the work on yourself of like, okay, I'm doing all the inputs, I'm putting in all the effort, but the output isn't there where it wanted to be. And that's a great lesson for us to learn. Like you can't control what you can't control, right? You can't control these uncontrollable things. You can control the way you show up. You can control, you know, how you show up and when you show up. Uh, that's And that's all you can control. And if you stay within that realm, and realize that you're doing this for yourself, then um, <clears throat> I feel like, you know, in the long run, you're gonna be a lot happier, more fulfilled w- with where you're at now, even as imperfect as you might be. You might not be where you wanna be physically, even though you're doing all this work, but I feel like you'll be more fulfilled on that journey. And you're, then your happiness isn't dependent on like, okay, one day, you know, then I'll be happy. You're, you're happy because you're showing up every single day. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I love that approach. I love that uh, mentality to just smile and say, "Okay, I see you." And it's, it's the idea of life as a game, right? The first time you play, first time you played Monopoly, you didn't win. But if you take yeah. the mindset <laughs> of like, "Oh shit, I suck. I'm not good at this game," like you're you're not going to come back. So it's like, well, I guess I need to do better next time, right? So if the first time you set out on that transformation journey, you don't get where you want to go, the mindset is, "Well, I'm going to do better next time," and that's all you can do, right? It's like. You don't win the first time you play Monopoly, right? You got to play multiple times before you become the Monopoly champion. It's just it's just another game. Like every little aspect of your life could be considered can looked at be looked at as a game that you just haven't played enough times yet. Keep trying, or find someone who's really good at the process to lead you. Which is you know coming back to what you're doing. So I'm curious what you, the aspects of your business are right now, Drew. Like you said, you've got you're leading multiple businesses. How are you giving back? How are you helping people with this wisdom? Yeah. So, you know, over the years of 10, 11 years, I've been doing this, uh, which to be totally honest with you, Ben, a lot of people don't know this, but like I had a full-time job in the medical field when this first happened and I was doing personal training part-time. So I didn't know any of this was going to become what it is today. And so 
it's been quite a journey, quite a ride uh, over the past like 10, 11 years of creating this business. And then, you know, where it's at today, I feel very blessed, very fortunate. And, and I think the biggest thing for me that, sh- that switched for me was in the beginning, it was like, okay, this is my career is what I do for, to make money. But now it's, it's, it's my mission. It's part of me. Like your, your mess becomes your message. And I feel like for me, the big switch that happened in my business was once I showed up authentically and started becoming vulnerable with my audience, that's where I felt like it really took off. That's where I, I you know, uh, like Brittany Brown talks about stepping into the arena of being the man in the arena. For me, that was really, really hard. And I think for me, that's kind of where I've been able to develop uh, this business into what it is today. So what it looks like today is, of course, I have a lot of digital content, digital programs that people can download, and and the hook or the the you know giving people what they think they want of okay, here's this program, six day program, you can do this, blah blah blah. They'll see the meal plans, they'll see the workouts, uh, which is what they think they want, but then they start consuming my content where I'm talking about empathy and self love and self awareness and. Uh, mindfulness and meditation and positive affirmations. So like, wait a second, I thought we were transforming our bodies. What's going on here? So a lot of the programs that you'll see sprinkled or mixed in that mindfulness stuff, you know, but if I lead with like a 30-day self-love program for men, let's be honest, that's not going to sell as much as like a 30-day get shredded program. So I think it's, I think it's been uh, really cool to start to sprinkle these things into these programs where people get both the physical side that they need, right? They know they need, but then also the mental and emotional stuff. So they start to develop that self-love and, and that self-awareness. And that's where it leads to true lasting change. So I also have two books that I've written, Fit to Fit to Fit and Complete Keto. You know, I built a supplement line called Complete Wellness. And just recently I launched um, a, a meal delivery service called F2 Meals. And right now it's just a keto line of meals because that's kind of what uh, you know, I focus on right now is just uh, is keto, but um, you know, I don't do keto myself all the time, but it's a it's a big part of you know what I my audience wants, and so so I just recently launched that a couple months ago. Um, I'm working on an apparel line, and um, <clears throat> as of right now, that's it. But um, my, uh, other than I also do speaking engagements on stage and stuff like that, um, where I share this message. I share a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. And uh, my hope is to one day be able to do retreats out here in Hawaii. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> nice, man. And where's the best place for yeah. our audience to, to track you down? Social media, where do you want to send them to get some of your content? Yeah, super simple. Uh, fit number two, fat number two, fit is my social media handle on all the platforms. And then my website is fit to fat to fit. My book, my first book is fit to fat to fit. And my podcast is the Fit to Fit to Fit Experience. And so it's all the same. So it should be pretty simple for people to find me. Nice, man. I think you've got a, an incredible footprint on there. You've got an incredible business, incredible mission, man. I love having you on. Thanks for being here, brother. And thanks for what you do. Yeah, Ben, my pleasure, dude. I had a great conversation. Thank you so much. All right, ladies and gents, boys and girls, thank you very much for being here on the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I hope that we continue to bring you incredible guests We always try to find a balance between people who are studying it in the lab and then ultimately applying it in the trenches. What I often say, the people who come on this podcast are the people who begin where everyone else ends, people who are really pushing what they do to the limit. And Drew is definitely no exception, adding 60 pounds of unwanted fat. And if you look at his pictures on his social media, uh, you'll see it it was a lot of fat and he did an incredible job pulling it back off and he still stays in really good shape. Now, I highly suggest you guys head over to Drew's social media and follow him there. You can find him at fit to fat to fit You can also find his podcast 
at fit to fat to fit and his website also fit to fat to fit. Drew, thanks for being here. I appreciate what you do. You're an incredible man and an incredible dad. Uh, and also thank you to our sponsors today. Buy Optimizers, a long, long time sponsor of the podcast because they keep coming back because I believe in the product. I've been using this product for, it's got to be about five to seven years now, consistently using enzymes. And uh, enzymes are one of these things that I suggest that everyone uses in their day-to-day uh, routine. If you're over 35, you know, usually after the age of 35, or if you've been abusing your body in your 20s and 30s, a really good way to ensure your body can actually extrapolate the nutrients you eat and not feel bloated all the time from food is by to is to ensure you're consuming some type of digestive enzymes. The highest quality ones I've been able to find so far, or of the highest quality ones, are bioptimizers, masszymes. That's b i o p t i m i z e r s dot com, and use the code Muscle Ten to get hooked up with ten percent off. Thanks for being here, ladies and gents. Appreciate you very much. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, do so right now. So you can never miss a podcast. We have so many great things coming at you to help you build muscle, lose fat, feel amazing. And now we're adding this longevity piece to the puzzle, which I just love. As I know, this journey for me is about living long so I can spend time with my angels and impact this world in a greater way. Uh, Gents, we need more amazing men like you who are inspiring, who are training hard, who are getting after it and leading from the front. Thanks for being here. I appreciate you. And I will see you again really, really soon on the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. Ben Pakulski, out. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.